0: chapter four. I'm going to ask you to bear with me. We're going to read the entire chapter, and uh, I think sometimes it helps us to do this. But uh, we're going to be preaching on a text towards the end of the chapter. But the the context, I believe, and what we're going to be dealing with tonight, is laid. I think a, a good foundation is laid earlier on in the chapter, and so we're going to read it for sake of giving some context and some foundation to. And uh, then keep your Bibles handy, and we'll be looking at another passage of Scripture this evening as well. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins to write in verse number 1, "...I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace." If you have a pen, you're underlining your Bible. You ought to underline verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Capital S there. Notice that. There's one body and one Spirit. Capital S. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace... Aren't you glad of that? According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a verse that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Father, we come once again tonight and ask for the next few moments that you will take control of our hearts and our minds. Lord, I know we ask every service, but Father, literally every service, we need your Holy Spirit to have his way. Lord, we don't want to go through a time of just sitting here and hearing somebody get up and speak about your word. Lord, we need to hear from you tonight. We need your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Lord, we're asking tonight that you'll do a miraculous work in our hearts. Here at the onset of the message, Lord, we're asking that you would allow our hearts to be sensitive and yielded to what you would have for us. And that You would make it blatantly obvious what You would want us to get from this message tonight. That there would be no question in our mind what it is that You have for us. And then, Father, having seen Your truth, I pray that You would help us to be discerning enough to know that we ought to put it into practice and to take heed to it in our lives. I pray that You would help us to become more like You. That we would be matured. That we would be perfected in the ministry. Lord, that we would be edifying the body of Christ. I pray that you would use us in this church to accomplish your work, your way, with your power. That our personal walk with you would be such that we would seek for the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct. Lord, I pray with all of my heart tonight, in Jesus' name, Amen. We find here in uh, in Ephesians chapter number 4 that Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus regarding some things and... He's a master. And if you ever read much of Paul's writings, you'll find that he does this quite often. He lays a foundation and a groundwork. It's almost like a lawyer who's building a case. And he lays these principles and these truths in place. And it's like every uh, stone of the foundation is custom cut and custom fit to, to fit right in there and can be unshaken. And after laying the foundation, he gets to the place where he comes to his final conclusion. And you kind of sometimes wonder where Paul's going with some of the things he's saying. Until he gets to his conclusion, then all of a sudden the light bulb clicks on and you say, I see it. What an amazing thing. We find such a thing here in Ephesians chapter 4, as Paul takes literally the entire chapter to lay foundation for the last few verses of the chapter. We find that he's speaking here of these folks at Ephesus to be of one mind and of one accord and to have a mind of humility and lowliness one for another. We find in verse number two that he says, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, for bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the, what's the next word here? The Spirit, capital S. There's a thing in our life that I I believe many times we drift from, and if we're not careful, if we do not uh, remain diligent and, and, and alert and awake to this thing, it's something that can happen to every single one of us, from the pastor down. And that is this, we begin, if we're not careful, as we go through our Christian lives, to lose our sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Now, I want to focus on this a little bit tonight. We're going to look at some things in Scripture. There are two things that we know from Scripture that absolutely can be done by a child of God. One of them is called grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to study that one tonight. The other one is quenching the Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to look at that one, Lord willing, next Sunday night if the Lord will allow. But one of the great things that I believe is missing in the day and age that you and I live is this thing of walking in the Spirit to be able to be sensitive and to be led by the Holy Spirit of God and for Him to be able to enable us to accomplish the work that we're doing. I fear so often that we attempt doing God's work and we have uh, we certainly know our, our obligation and, and even out of a heart of love as our motivation to do it, that we ought to be out here doing all that we can to reach people with the gospel. And we know that. I, I don't think there's any one of us sitting here tonight that would refute that from the Bible and say, well, that's not in there, Brother Greg. We know that from Scripture. I don't think there's any of us that would argue the point tonight that when we do God's work, that we ought to be doing it the way that God tells us to do it. And and that the methods that God gives in Scripture are the the process that we ought to be going through. We've talked about this (coughs) several times in the last few months, that this book has not lost its power. It is relevant for today. We don't have to put on entertainment shows to accomplish God's work. We just simply need more of God's Word. We need God's Word to be lifted high and exalted. You know, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter number 2. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole chapter of Philippians chapter 2 is dealing with the humility of Christ. And how we ought to have this mind that Christ had. What kind of mind was it? It was a mind of humility. And yet it says that God has highly exalted Him. And I will say this, that the Bible teaches this, as much as He has exalted the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the Bible teaches that He has exalted His Word above His name. We are to lift high the Word of God. And by the way, it still works. Amen? We've got to read it and do it. But we find that that we all pretty much are in agreement, I think, that We ought to be busy doing God's work. And and I think we would all be in agreement tonight. I, I don't want to speak for you, but I would hope we would all be in agreement that we would say, yes, we need to do it God's way, the way the Bible teaches we ought to be doing this. But there's another element to this that I believe so often is forgotten. And that is we ought to be doing it with God's power on our lives. We need to be going forth. Not in man's wisdom, in man's mindset, in man's arguments, in man's logic. But going forth in the power of the gospel with the Spirit of God having His hand upon us. And Paul is speaking here to the church at Ephesus and he's giving them a word of warning. He says in verse number 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, capital S, in the bond of peace. It goes on to explain to them that the Holy Spirit has brought a body of believers together that are unified, and every single one of them has a role. Every one of them has a part in the body. And the Bible speaks how clearly that they are fitly framed together. There's strength in the body of Christ until division begins to come in. The Bible says as we get to verse number 11 that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers (coughs) for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The idea being of providing that which is lacking to be able to mature the Christians to do the work of the ministry. And by the way, the work of the ministry is always the edifying of the body of Christ. For those that are saved, the The work of the ministry is to build up and to strengthen themselves for the task and the labor and the work at hand. And to go out and share the gospel with those that have never heard. The Bible says in verse number 13, and we're to do this until, look what he says here verse 13. Till we all come in the unity. Do you see that? The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When do we get to stop doing this? When we become like Christ. Let me ask you a question. Will we ever do that this side of heaven? So there's no stopping, is there? Amen. That ye henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Can I tell you this? We live in a day that this is happening by leaps and bounds in the pews of our churches. People who do not know this book... People that have been in church and they've gone through the motions of religion for so many years and they even pride themselves on the fact that they have been in a church for X amount of years. And boy, i tell you what, I've taught this Sunday school class or I have done this bus route or I've done some kind of service for the Lord for many, many years. And I'm, I'm not discrediting faithfulness. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe faithfulness is a great thing. But can I tell you this, that there are some that go through the motions of their Christian life, the Bible calls it, words it this way: having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did that, didn't they? In fact, Jesus comes to them, and you'll find you will not find anywhere in Scripture where God condemns them for their outward actions. In fact, he commends them for it. He tells, he tells them, outwardly, you're clean. And there's nothing that we can accuse you of outwardly. What was Christ so upset about them about? Inwardly, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. And I fear that we're creating, and I heard a pastor say it this way one time and use this phrase, that we're creating sometimes in our churches what are called hollow Christians. We, we, we clean up the outside uh, we, we, we teach you how to, how to look like a Christian and how to, how to walk like a Christian, how to talk like a Christian. And the heart is not affected. And my great fear in pastoring and preaching from the pulpit is that in the pews of our churches, that there not be somebody that slips through the cracks, who simply puts on an outward form of what they think that the Bible teaches they ought to be, and never allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in their heart and in their life. Oh, the importance of it. The Bible teaches when we get saved, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live and reside inside of us. What a thought. There was something that was dead that's now made alive inside of us. And I'll tell you this, that we get all of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us part of Him. We get all of the Holy Spirit the day we get saved that we're going to get. But then we can quench and we can grieve Him. and We can cause Him to become ineffective in our lives when we allow our sensitivity to Him to grow cold. It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit we have, but how much of us the Holy Spirit has. How yielded are we to Him that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. You want to know why we have so many shallow Christians that can't even give an answer for their own faith? Because they've quenched and they've grieved the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into Him and all things which is the head, even Christ. He goes on to speak of the body being fitly framed together. Look with me if you will. The Bible says in verse number 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, which after God, excuse me, created in righteousness and true holiness. Now I want you to notice, because we're going to look at two things here, two two lists, if you will. And I just want to stop before we get into these lists. And I want to say this, that the danger of creating hollow Christians is that we give you a list. And the danger that we have of causing people to conform outwardly without being transformed inwardly is that we give you a list. And yet I hesitate sometimes to give lists because I fear that so many times we take the list and we start working on it on the outside. We say, okay, I'm going to try not to have these things apparent in my life and And then we get to the places where we find what we're supposed to have. And we say, I want to try to have these things apparent in my life so that men can look at me and they'll see that that I am this kind of a Christian. And we focus strictly on the outside. And don't get me wrong, I think there's a great place for standards in the Christian life, but they need to be a matter of the heart. Amen. Amen. Because I fear that we can teach young people especially how to dress right and how to act right and how to speak right and how to uh, go out and and give the Romans road and knock on a door. And we see them turn 18, 19, 20 years old and they leave the church and never even talk with God again the rest of their life. Why? Because there was just nothing on the inside. We're going to look at these lists and I just want you to bear witness of this, that these lists are not accomplished by us attempting to do them outwardly. But these lists are to be accomplished as we yield ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Don't miss that statement, please. Because if we, if we miss this, we'll start becoming a hollow Christian. Let's look at it, verse number 25. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, so we're not to be angry. Neither give place to the devil. Well, not to even mess around or play around with temptation or sin. I've seen Christians say, Well, you know, I know I'm just kind of playing around here, I'm not I know I'm away from the Lord, but I'm not really hurting anybody, and it'll be we're giving place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Boy, there's a tough one, isn't there? Can I just say this? I'll hold your place there pause the message for a minute. Can I just say this? The Bible talks about a good tree gives forth good fruit. A bitter tree cannot give forth good fruit. Neither does a good tree give forth bitter fruit. It appalls me at the language that quote unquote Christian people use in this day and age. Amen. It's getting kind of quiet here. And I'm not on a soapbox, folks, but it's about time and high time for God's people to start acting like it. That we quit taking God's name in vain. Of all people, His own children, to take the Lord's name in vain. Oh, heaven help us. That we would follow after what the Holy Spirit would want in our lives. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the ears. Now let me just stop here. He gives a list of the things that ought not to be in a Christian's life. And can I stop once again and reiterate this fact? We ought not to try to accomplish this list just outwardly. But we ought to get on our faces before God and ask for His Holy Spirit to do a work in us. That these things just happen in our lives. That He directs and leads us away from these things. That these work first on the inner man. And then they become evident to the outer man. Amen. Because now He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby are sealed unto the day of redemption. And what Paul is saying here, is these things that ought not be in our lives, when they are present in our lives, the Holy Spirit is being grieved. You said, Brother Greg, we have a work to do. Yes, we do. We have to do it God's way. Yes, we do. But can I add this? We need to do it with God's power. And we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How in the world are we ever going to accomplish His work? I hear people all the time in the day and age that we live especially say, well, the outside just doesn't really matter all that much. Yes, it does. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So what are we to do? When we are led by the Holy Spirit of God, what, what are we to do? Well, let's look at it. Verse number 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here it is: and be ye kind one to another. tender-hearted. Are we tender-hearted tonight? Forgiving one another. Well, that's a tough one. Are we forgiving? Can you think of something that somebody's done to hurt you beyond the depths of what you could even imagine you've been able to be hurt? And let me ask you, have you forgiven them? Even, what does the Bible say? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What happens when we're not kind and tender-hearted and forgiving one another? We grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Hold your place here for just a moment. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Boy, aren't we glad of that one. Who walk not after the what flesh, but after the Spirit. Capital S, the Holy Spirit. So we're not to walk after the things of the flesh. That's what we used to do before we were saved. But when He quickened us, when He made us alive, when the Holy Spirit came to indwell us, He put something inside of us, a desire that didn't used to be there. And now He says, I want you to walk after these things. It's called walking after the Spirit. (coughs) In the book of Galatians, He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. For the law, look at this, verse number 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what's the next word here free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk What does it say here? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We have two laws at work here. We have the law of sin and death. And by the way, it used to reign in us when we were lost. And then we have the law of the Spirit. And they're at odds one with the other. And they're battling. And I find that we're in one of three positions on these things. Either we're the natural man who's not received the things of the Spirit of God and we're lost and we're under the law of sin and death. Or... We are a spiritual man who's been delivered and made free from the law of sin and death and now walks after the law of the Spirit. Or we are what's called the carnal man who has been delivered from the law of sin and death but willingly chooses to live in it anyway. And my fear is that's where many Christians today are. Delivered from it, but running back to it. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? God leads them first to the Red Sea. Great celebrations. We're free, free indeed, as they leave Egypt. And just a few days later, what are they saying? Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? You know, there are a lot of people today that have been delivered from the law of sin and death that still want to go back to it and live in it. Can I tell you that the Bible very clearly teaches that those of us that have been saved, we've been delivered from this. And our work now is to walk after the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk after the Spirit? It means that we're sensitive to what He does in our lives. The still small voice. The idea that God impresses upon us different things to do in our lives, that we're to follow after those things. Can I encourage you and challenge you tonight? And we'll give some time in the next several weeks to seek after this thing of walking in the Spirit. Not just doing God's work God's way, but doing it with His power. The Bible says here as we get to verse number 6 of Romans chapter 8, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Who wants to live the carnal life when we have life and peace? I uh, have shared the story and many of you have the booklet of Daniel Nash, the man who prayed for Charles Finney for so many years. I was talking with someone this week and I said, you know, we don't, pay the price for that kind of prayer life anymore and I, I believe this I, I really do, I think I believe, I believe this from even the passage we read tonight in Ephesians chapter number 4 that God has a specific role for every, every person in the body of Christ I believe that there is a ministry of prayer those that have the power of God resting upon them those that have yielded themselves, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, who in diligence in their prayer life begin to seek for the power of God to rest upon His ministry, to rest upon His work. I fear so often that we're working to Accomplish some kind of an outward form. And we forget sometimes to teach and to preach on the importance of the heart. The inner man. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. How much of us does He have? If He needed someone to do His work and His bidding, would we be willing and yielded? We had a guy in our church I'll never forget when I was a young man growing up. His name was George Gibson. George Gibson was a very dear friend of mine when I was a little kid. It was amazing how many older folks I had that were close friends of mine as a kid. But I remember him babysitting my sister and I at a young age out at his house. He had a little, small little Florida house, a little one-bedroom house. I can still picture the house and see it to this day sitting in his screen room in the hot Florida afternoon. And he would have all these wood carvings and things he had done and things that would interest kids. And he'd just sit there and play with us and do different things. I used to watch him in the church service. He was one of our deacons at the church. And I used to watch him in every single service. I'd watch him come forward and weep. And I mean weep at the altar. And I thought that was kind of peculiar, especially when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I didn't understand what was going on there. Brother Gibson used to take my sister and I go fishing, and and uh, he would bait our hooks, and about as fast as we could throw them in, and we were pulling fish. And he didn't even get to do any fishing; he was so busy baiting hooks and taking fish off. But he loved kids, and he loved spending time with us. And I'll never forget watching him come week after week after week to the altar and weep and weep and weep. And I remember one one Sunday. I think it was on a Sunday, I believe, and. He had come to the altar, and he had been spending time weeping there. And I watched as he looked up, and he motioned for my dad to come over to him. And he knelt down beside Brother Gibson and prayed with him for several minutes, 80-some years old. After they got done praying, they stood in front of the altar here. And my dad said, Brother George Gibson has come today to surrender to preach for the rest of his life. I thought, he's 80-some years old. This is, and We were rejoiced in it, certainly, but later on I heard the story. The story was this, that at a young age, when he was in his early 20s, God had called him to preach. And he was working for Goodyear Tire and Rubber at the time. And at the time that God called him to preach, he was making decisions about whether to go into ministry. And just at the time that he was in that critical choosing moment, The company came to him and offered him a very lucrative promotion. Brother George Gibson, with tears streaming down his face, would tell you, I followed after what the Goodyear company wanted me to do. He said, for all of these years, I have known that God wanted me to preach the gospel. But he said, I kept pushing it back, saying, well, I can do good with my money. I can still serve in the church. He kept making excuse after excuse after excuse until he was in his 80s. And finally he couldn't take it anymore. He said, I've got to do what God wants me to do. Brother Gibson didn't have too many more years left, but for the rest of his life, he went into every nursing home that would have him and would preach every week. I've often thought of that story And I fear in my life that I'll make a wrong choice like that. That I'll get to the end and I'll look back, and even though God can take me from that point and use me, would I have regret over the choices I've made? Or would I be willing to follow the Holy Spirit of God as He works in my heart? I don't know what God does in your heart. That's between you and God. All I'm saying tonight is, can we be sensitive to it? Let's not grieve Him. Let's not push Him to the wayside. Let's not live our life the way we want to. But to lay our lives on that altar as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, whatever You have for me, my answer is yes. My answer is yes. Let's live live for the Spirit this week, shall we? Ask Him what He would have us to do, and then follow after it. Somebody asked me here just a few weeks ago. They said, do you believe that the Holy Spirit still leads after we're saved, beyond the convicting of the need for salvation? And I said, oh, I believe He's actively involved, absolutely. We just have to be sensitive to it. Let's stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you will bless uh, the time of invitation tonight. Lord, a pretty simple message, but the truth of the matter is, Lord, I believe this is one of those things that we neglect so much. And it ought to be something that we fear. Lord, not just are concerned about, but Lord, that we fear having our own will in play and missing what you have for us. Missing what you want to do in our lives, in us and through us. And Lord, I'm not saying everybody here is called into what we would consider full-time Christian service, but Lord, I believe that every single one of us ought to be walking in the Spirit. I believe every single one of us needs to be yielded lay our lives down as a living sacrifice and take our hands off of it. And say, Lord, what your will is for my life is what I want. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the courage and depth of character. And dedication to you to be obedient when the Holy Spirit leads. Lord, it will not always be easy, and I understand that. I pray that you would help us to be faithful in it. Bless the invitation, Lord, and use it as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes.